to Millennial Living, a lifestyle podcast showcasing how millennials survive, live, and thrive. What's good? This podcast represents the millennials who are resourceful and are assets to those around them. I just want to help. We will learn and teach one another while promoting growth. You will believe in yourself. So whether you're a millennial or not, this is a motivational space for anyone. I try to better myself. Here's your host, Octavia. Welcome back to the Millennial Living Podcast. We have Stephanie here. Stephanie Josiah, is that how you pronounce your last name, Stephanie? I don't want to butcher it. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) All right, good. And Stephanie is a author. Um, Stephanie is also a speaker, a mom, a wife, and a poet, a guest speaker. I also saw, well, Jess said speaker twice, so... (laughs) Um, (laughs) Tell us a little bit more. So tell us a little bit more outside of those. Or if you, oh, a homeschooling mom, which I definitely want to get into because I know you probably are thriving uh, right now. Yes. People are scrambling. <laughs> I used, yeah, we used to homeschool. They actually started public school when we moved from PG County and they were a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, we like this school. We're hearing good things. So I think we're ready to branch out. And then Corona happens a couple of years later and it's back to homeschool style. So wow. we were, we were prepared. That's good. And what, what um, grades did you homeschool up until? My oldest all the way through fifth grade. So she wow. got drafted into the game. She first year of public school she was in middle school and she was like ah! but she adjusted that's good that is good. up until fifth grade did mm-hmm. you ever want to be a teacher I used to substitute teach mm-hmm. for Anne Arundel County and then after having twin boys I was like I have enough kids to teach at home <laughs> right that's what I used to substitute for Anne Arundel as well that's awesome. I used, yeah, I used to substitute from what year? I substituted while I was in grad school. So from like 15 to like 2017. And I always recommend for parents to become substitute teachers in some type of capacity because just when you thought your child was one way or that school went one way in your head, mm-hmm. it goes completely different. So I don't even advocate, well, PTA meetings and things of that nature are good, but I think substitute teaching will definitely oh, <laughs> yeah. considering and having compa- have you having compassion for teachers in a whole different way, in a whole yep. different way. So is the adjustment, Are you do you find yourself doing any like unteaching from what they learned in school? In public school? Um, no, we haven't had to do any unteaching this year. Um, and that's mostly because we've gotten to the point where they all want to research stuff for themselves. So if their history books aren't touching on certain things or it seems like it's kind of been watered down, they are on it. They're already looking up stuff for themselves or checking out other things that they want to do. My middle child is interested in starting to cook more. So she's adding that to kind of what she wants to do on a regular basis. So I'm just letting them kind of roll with it and they have to stay on top of their grades. But I've been pretty relaxed and and just trusting that they'll stay on top of it. That's awesome. So now that you have these independent little little beings, you get over and you're, or do you find yourself having more time for you? I do. I, as soon as I put them in public school, I said to myself, oh, what am I going to do with my time? I, I have too much time on my hands. And so I started going to a college of Southern Maryland for their nursing program. Mm-hmm. And it's, ooh, it's a lot, but I'm, I'm busting through it. That's right. Well, that's good. That is awesome. I'm glad that you're going back um, and doing something for yourself and then nursing. What another interesting thing to throw in there given the times um, right now? Mm-hmm. Are you nervous about it or how does it make you feel? 
Well, since, since I'm not ready to start working just yet, I don't have to worry about just, okay, where am I going to be? Is it going to be a high risk area? Who am I going to expose myself to? And, and I don't want to bring it home to the kids, but at the same time, if this pandemic lasts for a while, then eventually I'm going to have to start thinking low risk areas, something that, you know, I can manage and not feel that, that high anxiety. I, I commend nurses that are doing it in these high risk areas in these high risk times because yeah it's a lot it's a lot so I uh, recently received a book from you that I read that you wrote did you write Marble Girl during the pandemic or you had it already and you just published I wrote it during the pandemic I I've been sitting on some books that are just in my heart and in my mind and needed to get them out onto the page Mm-hmm. So this book was something that I've been resting and wrestling with for like five years. Wow. And so that's actually the book I kind of want to focus on. But before we get on that, you have other books as well, right? Is it six that you have? It's a little more than six because I also what? have a literary magazine that I do with children. I. I mentor kids and we've had young ladies that have been the most interested, but I'm starting to branch out and see where boys might be more interested in writing if I tweak it a little, like comic style or, you know, like superhero theme and not so much expressing what they did through school right away. Like this is the drama that's unfolding. They might share that in a different way but it would be through comics instead of teen angst. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. So tell us about the um, the magazines. So I have two issues so far. The first one we did with a group called La Chic Academy based out of mm-hmm. Columbia, Maryland. And my friend Marlene Jackson heads that up. And she also works with biz kids. So she is always doing mentoring and working with youths. And I was like, let me come alongside that. And I was able to participate in that for a while. My daughters did the modeling and I'm like, okay, let me lend some of my talents to this to help out. And so I helped with public speaking, teaching the girls just how, how to express yourselves. Don't do a whole bunch of audible pauses carry yourself a certain way when you're presenting the information, you got to act like you know what you're talking about instead of just being shy about it. Uh, Projecting your voice was a big thing too. A lot of them had these sheepish little voices. And by the end of those classes, they had found some big booming voices. And that was the, that's the whole thing that I'm trying to get these girls to know is that they have a voice and it matters. And too often, this world is going to try to push those voices down. But, I mean, we got the news today. The sky isn't even the limit. We're shattering right. all the glass. Right. I, I, I don't like talking politics. But I was like, how could you not mention? Like, aside from, you know, I encourage people to vote and things of that nature. But just what happened today, like today... And for those that will hear it at another day, it was Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the uh, election. And I had to sit there and really think about it like, wow, I am living in this time. We just had a daughter. My daughter is going to be here to see this. You know, she's here. And it'll be a different narrative for her growing up. She doesn't have to ask, well, mommy, why haven't there been any um, <laughs> any woman of color in office or any woman of um, in, a pre- in the presidential um, realm of things, not in a general office? But, you know, like, no one looks like me. There aren't any women. You know, why is this so male-dominated? Which, you'll, you know, Kamala will still be outnumbered. Mm-hmm. But that's just as we stand in 2020. But she, you know, definitely we don't know what it will look like in 2010 when she can form that question, you know, yep. <laughs> when she starts to form <laughs> that question. So I just was like, wow, like it's just so much bigger than 
oh, she's the first, you know, there we have a woman vice president um, or we have a woman of color. You know, it, it's 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 major. Mm-hmm. It's major and it speaks volumes. Like you said, this is a very pivotal moment. And um, I think this is going to be awesome. I think this is going to yep. be awesome. And the magazine sounds awesome. So I hope you'll have a third issue in there now because you definitely have some new things to go off of. And oh, I'm sure, yeah. like young young women, young ladies really need that. You know, they really need that. I um, encourage them all the time to find a mentor, even throughout your life, you know, to have a mentor and go to public speaking engagements and hear women who look like you, who are women, you know, who have a story. Uh, You have a very interesting story uh, that you share in Marble Girl. And at first, one of my questions that I have for you is um, why why now like why are you sharing marvel girl now versus you know five years ago i know you said you sat on this for five years oh yeah (laughs) um now because i had all of this time to really sit down and sort through the feelings and also i was seeing a counselor on campus they have counselors that are available to you and she she was telling me, if you're a writer, you need to write. I mean, that's something that you really actually have to do. And if you're not doing it, all of that is building up. And I, I admitted to her, I had stopped writing. I had stopped using my voice to express kind of how I was feeling. And all of those hurts and hangups, they weren't getting to flow out onto the page. They were staying inside of me and affecting how I sleep. I was having nightmares, um, all kinds of things. And, and the pandemic really allowed me to just slow down and say, I need to just sit down and I need to sort this out. That is awesome. I didn't, um, <laughs> so I asked the question because I thought it was a perfect time for it. Um, but I wanted to see if you were kind of in the same lines, like you realized and which someone realized in you that you had a gift. And that gift was to help heal you and also to help heal others. And I saw you um, in one of your bios that you you actually said that, you know, that you wanted to help heal others. And it's a form of therapy. And now in the in the day and ages of like social media and people actually sharing, you know, some things that are personal to them and they're being vulnerable on this big platform. You find that a lot that a lot of people are actually hurting. And Mm -hmm. they don't want to really say it, but someone else comes out and tell their story like, hey, I go to therapy for this. Hey, I'm suffering from depression. And they, you know, start to spark these conversations, start to happen to say, hey, it's okay. Like, you're not weird because you're depressed or you're not (laughs) weird because you experienced this trauma. You know, as a child, I think um, I actually was talking to. Um, my sister about this the other day like you view parenting in a whole different light when you become Mm -hmm. a parent yeah and (laughs) it makes you be so intentional with certain things and like what you do what you say how you act you know these things start to really you're going to shape a whole nother human being and that is going to trickle off of them until they get out in the world and they realize oh this is not normal Exactly. You know, this is not normal. And um, I'm glad I, I, I'm very glad that you actually wrote this book. Um, there was some you had to be very, very uh, vulnerable, actually, to write this book. And there were some really touching points in it from what I've read so far. Um, I didn't want to read it as I explained to you. I didn't want to finish reading it because I started getting to it. I'm like, I don't want to talk too much about it because I want other people to read it for themselves. <laughs> Okay. For themselves. Um, but I guess, let me see, because I, I don't feel like I want to give away too much, but I was going to flip to the back of the book and see, okay, what did you drop on there? So when you talked about being fatherless, you can share as much as you want to, but I'm going to feed off of <laughs> just that part <laughs> because there are a lot of women who are fatherless um, who 
actually never got to know the existence of their father. And you kind of, you knew his existence. You knew that, mm-hmm. um, you know, you knew like he was there. It wasn't like he, you found out that he had, um, you found out of his existence and he passed away. If right. that makes sense. He passed, we know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, <laughs> How how has that really shaped or transformed you as like a woman and then as a married woman? Do you feel like you brought some of those issues into your marriage or into mm. your style of parenting? I would say that I definitely did bring some of that baggage into my marriage. I, I've been with my husband since um, senior year of high school Aww. and that's that's <laughs> that's a long time for him yeah. to be um kind of walking me through that process but i find that early on i had a list that i wrote and i i said that there were certain things that i definitely needed in whoever i was going to marry i said he has to love his mom he has to love god he has to be family oriented and he has to not want to just, you know, make children here and there and then leave them. And that was one of the biggest things for me because I'm like, I know that's what my dad did. And I didn't want to keep repeating that cycle Mm -hmm. where there's all of these children, but no fathers to show for them, or in some cases, no mothers to show for them. I won't say that we don't do that too. But in that particular instance, I was like, I need somebody that understands And whenever things seemed kind of sketchy, I brought that kind of insecurity or that abandonment issue into the picture. And he really just had to say, I'm not going anywhere. And that's hard when you have a military husband (laughs) and he he has to deploy every so often. And you know that sometimes that stress can weigh on a relationship and you just don't know. Yeah, that that's a lot by itself. That's a lot. And wow. I, on top of all of the things that you've already gone through. And I mean, rightfully so, because you do hear. I mean, I know that's like a a rumor or the status type of thing people spread around. Don't marry a man in the military. Yeah. You know what goes on in the military. <laughs> and so for you to actually have done that, I'm glad that at least it was someone that you had known for a while. So all of those things that people might say, you could say, no, I actually know him. No, we've been together since high school. Um, yeah. That, that's, that's another a whole load at, that you added on. <laughs> that, that was that a saving grace. The fact that I knew him before he joined and I knew his reasons for joining, it was because he, you know, we had just had the twins and he needed something that was certain. And at the time that the twins were born or about to be born, they were starting to do layoffs here and there. And he said, no, I need, I need something that is a guaranteed source of income. And so with that, that took a load off. And also just the fact that I knew going into that, uh, I kept telling him I'm a product of that military rumor. <laughs> like uh, that's, that's how I came to be was right. because, you know, my parents met in the military. My father was doing his thing. And yeah, I, I always joke with him. I'm like, you might meet someone when you deploy that looks like me, probably related. And so we just chuckle about it and we just push through. Yeah. I, mm, that's even more deep. I, um, I saw that you, they, your mom met your dad in Germany, right? Yes. And I kind of inferred that in my head that, oh, this is probably the military. But um, wow. <laughs> and then to marry a man in the military, do you feel like when your husband said he was going into the military and then you kind of started unraveling the story about your dad, it was like I'm going into this story that seems so similar Mm-hmm. Did you have that in mind? I know you said the, you know, the, how your uh, mom and dad met, it was through the military, but anything else like, oh, you know, what, 
did you see any similarities in them that kind of made you hesitant at any point or do you feel like you were concrete and those things didn't matter? I was seeing similarities just based off of my own personal experience. And I kept thinking to myself, history is about to repeat itself. And I wasn't giving him that credit that he's not my dad. And I, I mean, I knew he wasn't my dad because like I said, I made a pretty extensive list and he checked mm-hmm. most of those boxes. Um, but there, there's just the thing about when you have somebody who is nice and my husband is a very nice, very caring person. And sometimes I, I would find that women while he was deployed would be coming and trying to cry on his shoulder about this relationship or that relationship. And that would make me nervous. Like you're too nice. <laughs> Stop being so nice. Break it down to them. That like at the end of the day, your kindness is for me. So that was my worried point was, okay, let's draw a very, very bold line that they know not to cross and you know not to cross. I know that's right. Well, let me, let's take a break and uh, come right back. And we will be right. right back with some more questions. We're going to talk about the Marble Girl when we get back. Awesome. I pressed up like four times. Now I'm going to have to edit that part. Stop. <laughs> stop. It will not stop. Let me hang up and then okay. to rejoin it. Okay. Okay. This week's episode is sponsored by Stephanie Josiah. Some have been raised to shy away from airing out dirty laundry, and for that reason, a cap has been put over hurts and traumas that might have otherwise healed. Wounds require cleaning, air, and light. Stephanie Josiah is a wife and a mother of four who has experienced family trauma and even the seeming dead end of losing a child. She writes about her traumas for healing, and in doing so, she hopes to help heal others. Check out her Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and her books on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and Lulu. Right, welcome back. Welcome back. So we are here with Stephanie Josiah talking about one of her uh, one of her many many forms of work. Her recent book that she released or wrote and self published. Correct? You self published, yes. Stephanie. Steph- mm-hmm. Self published. You got to put that in there because it's hard work to publish a book. So I hear. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I hear. Um. So we are talking about Marble Girl. And one of the questions that I have for you, uh, Stephanie, was what is what does your family think of your writing and more specifically uh, to this book? Because you do give a lot um, out about your family. I do. It, it goes a little deep and I had to check it with my mother to make sure, you know, like I'm very close with my mom. She raised me. And I'm really big on making sure that she's approving of whatever it is. And usually I get big support with the style in which I express myself, but I just wanted to make sure that she wouldn't feel any kind of way about me going this deep. And there are parts in the book that really, (laughs) even if it's fictional or satire, comic relief it still goes pretty deep and I just had to check with her to make sure that she was okay and now if it's not something you want me to put out there let me know and she said I'm all for it so that that was good definitely on my mother's side of the family everybody's big on support and my husband and kids they they were clapping and all for it so (laughs) That is awesome. I can definitely tell your husband is pretty supportive, um, which is how we actually met or how we connected because he was actually promoting your your work. And I thought that was phenomenal. You know, I've I've only met two 
um, authors whose husbands actually introduced me to them. Your husband, and then it's another woman. Um, her husband actually intentionally followed me and said, you know, check out my wife's um, work. So look at the the men out here. Yes. Um, definitely. Um, showing their support for their wives, which is something that we. I know I would enjoy, or I do yes. enjoy, because my husband does plug the podcast every now and again. That's um, awesome. Yeah, so I definitely wanted to pick that out there and give Mr. Josiah a good, uh, some some praise there. Yes, some, some brownies, there. some brownies. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, so with your dad's side of the family, um did anyone come back to you with any feedback specifically um your your father's mother or your grandmother well well i actually did get some feedback from that side of the family because i i felt like there's no reason for me to hide this is this is me sharing what it is the trauma that i've been through and even you know i've changed the names slightly to to you know as they say protect the innocent or the not so innocent but I still wanted my paternal grandmother to have a copy of the book. So I mailed it to her and I sent a little letter with it to let her know, like, I get it. You guys are not interested in me in your family or, or, or whatever, but this is, this is who I am. This is how I am. And it, the fact that I don't fit is a blessing. <laughs> so... <laughs> In, in simple terms, like I wanted this so badly for so long, but it is actually you that have been found unworthy. Wow. What did she say? <laughs> or is that a part of the book? Okay. So no, that's not in the book, actually. Um, she got, got to me through my, my half sister. So mm -hmm. this is one of the many of us that are probably out there. Um, I only know of four of us right now, but that list could grow. We just just got to give it some more time. But um, she got to me through my half-sister, who's older. She texted me out the blue and said something along the lines of, if you sent this book to my grandmother, like, I, I can't, I can't stress this to you enough you're you're not part of our family you're you're weak you're 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 nothing and like just going everything that she could hit me with below the belt now this is somebody that was very close to me and you know she was she was trying to tell our grandmother not her grandmother our grandmother that that she was being unfair and not giving me a good chance and and the fact that she was saying things like, you know, you weren't supposed to be here. You were essentially calling me a mistake because mm -hmm. of how I came to be. And um, she was starting to try to, to smooth things out and was trying to kind of get us to get back together and start communication again. But a lot of it, it felt like behind the scenes, she was still holding on. Like, I, this is my grandmother. You know, I, I don't really want to release too much of her to you. And so I started to figure out that there was a little, there was a narcissism. There was the a control aspect mm -hmm. that was taking place behind the scenes. And uh, sure enough, I, <laughs> as soon as I had cut contact with her, I got a, a, a message sent to my block text and it just came up and I read it and she was just going off the rails at me letting me know to stay away from her grandmother, stay away from her. I was like, hey, well, the good thing about this is I just found out that grandma got the book. <laughs> right, right. And that you got to have that. If that was the closure piece for you, you got that out there. And you don't have to wonder what, what better way than confirmation. Absolutely. <laughs> what better way than confirmation. So tell us what type of things that you did um, besides, I know writing has to have been a big piece um, to as a part of your healing process, because I know this story. I've heard this story, um, similar stories, I'll say, from other uh, women and men uh, who, you know, longed for that type of re 
a relationship, I'll say, um, mm-hmm. with their fathers. And a lot of them I've heard to say, it doesn't matter, you know, and it really does matter because it starts to form like who you are, the type of opinions you have. And then it shows up in a relationship, whether it be a romantic relationship or a friendship. Uh, what type of things have you done to help your healing process? Well, one of the perks of the military, I will say, is that they do have different events for couples and families. And so we took full advantage of those free trips to Great Wolf Lodge. For They have a program called Strong Bonds. Mm-hmm. And they will have workshop activities. Um, if it was something that the kids could come to, then the kids would be involved in a family workshop. And they would talk about stuff like, okay whoever has this sticker or this ball has the floor. Don't step on anybody's, what they're saying, let them get it out. And they would teach us things like repeat back to them so that they know that you heard what they're saying, or they'll know what you missed. Because a lot of times we'll repeat just back what we heard. And then you give the person an opportunity to say, that's not exactly what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think a lot of the communication issues started to smooth out when I started to express stuff like, okay, it's not, it's not actually you making me feel this way, but this is how I feel when, and this is what it reminds me of, or this is the pattern that, that I'm scared of and that I don't want this to repeat itself with us and with the kids. And so that, that helped me to kind of find my way because communication is key like i know people say that a lot but you oftentimes want to just shut down yeah Yeah. you want to shut down when you're when your spouse is is acting in a way that you don't like you immediately think well silence i'm gonna hit them with the quiet game (laughs) (laughs) and that that benefits no one That's true. That's true. <laughs> but at the end of the day, <laughs> yes, it doesn't. It doesn't progress you any further along. You're just stagnant. You're right. Yeah. What I need is is the understanding that that comes with that breakdown. Yeah. Being fixed in communication. Okay. So you had. Um, did you also have some counseling? I feel like I saw that somewhere counseling on my own. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've also done uh, small group activities like churches that have small groups. Uh, One of my friends also does workshops for couples. And I went to that. He was deployed at the time, but I was still taking notes. And I was working in a supportive capacity, like, let's get these couples through this obstacle course that she had come to this idea, like, oh, this would be awesome awesome. Just blindfold one spouse and send them through. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm down with it. I'm down. And I got on the phone with Ishmael that night and I told him, oh man, you missed a good one here. Let me fill you in on what they did and what I learned. So counseling. Awesome. That is good. And I love that you like bonding activities. And like you said, those one of the many perks of um, being a military family and, you know, having those services afforded to you. And mm-hmm. even if you're not there, you'd be surprised. There are so many groups. Again, we are living in the world of social media. So use those for something. Um, and I'm not you. I'm just speaking to our audience here. Use those um, Facebook groups and all of these different um, communities that people are forming. And then you never know who are in them. You know, it doesn't have to, who the facilitator might be. It might be a therapist. It might not be, but you can still do some type of bonding activity or some type of activity that is going to help you through um, whatever it is that you might be experiencing or something that you're trying to heal from. Definitely. So um, you talk about airing, <laughs> you talk about um, airing your dirty laundry. Um, or what are some things that you pondered about before sharing your story, if anything? My biggest fear was just upsetting my mom. I, I wasn't upset about hurting 
anyone with the truth who hurt me. Like, I feel some of those walls that they have up where they can't see themselves because they push everybody out who, who thinks different or a lot of times abusers just, they get away with so much when you just hold your tongue. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and I was the one suffering, like they're sleeping soundly and I'm, and I'm losing sleep and I'm having nightmares. And a lot of my nightmares were about, you know, rejection, rejection, abandonment, uh, not being understood. I've, I've had nightmares where I couldn't speak and I was trying to communicate with people and they weren't understanding me. Um, I've had nightmares about being in a situation where I actually met my dad and he rejected me outright. It was just a lot of it. It comes down to like the, the biggest fear for me was just, I've already been rejected by this side of the family. The last thing that I need, <laughs> the absolute last thing that I need is to have my mom not be on board with this. And she said, no, this is your truth. This is tra trauma that you've experienced and you need to release it. And that's, a, I know that's a cultural thing too. I, she grew up in the time where Families were not talking about trauma. Families were not talking about, especially not black families. Right. We weren't, we weren't talking about depression and anxiety. If you had that going on, then you just needed to sit around until you got glad. <laughs> that was you like one of the crazy, exactly some type of miss. <laughs> and then you, you wonder, you're like, oh, you probably were experiencing this. This is why I'm crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, but it, and I say that term very lightly, but that's it, like you said, it is very, very common in the um African American community where you know, um, that's what I was referring to when you said airing out your dirty laundry. You were saying that you know, there's this notion that you some people are raised away, and I attributed that to the African American cultural or the felt the culture or family where you know. Um, don't tell nobody my business. You know, that's right. our business. Don't you tell anybody. And who's to say the person or the parent or who or the guardian is equipped to deal with whatever it is that the child may have experienced or what may have happened? Yeah, so a lot of you... the time, a lot of the time that is the thing is that the parent isn't equipped and they, they're they not, not necessarily willing to come alongside a counselor or somebody to work with the child because there's also that embarrassment that this mm -hmm. was allowed to happen. Yeah. And then, but it makes me think like, okay, so you don't say anything or you have the child not say anything. And then it that grows and goes with the child. And then however they're dealing, I mean, how do they deal with it ultimately when it spirals out of control? To me, that would be more of an embarrassment because you didn't deal with it. And then this is what happened. True. Very but... true. I could have gone a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> Being a fatherless daughter. And yeah, I could have gone a lot of ways and gotten into trouble. I've actually had many instances where it seemed like God sent somebody, dispatched somebody to get me out of harm's way because I, I was acting out and I may not have come home that night. I may have ended up somewhere in a gutter somewhere. So right. scary to think what could have been. Yes. So how long did it take you to write this book? I know you said you wrote it in a pandemic. You kind of had this in your mind brewing for five, five years. I was about to say five months. Um, how long did it take you, if you recall? It took me, I want to say probably like two or three weeks wow. of just nonstop writing and then re-revising and going through it and saying, oh, I don't know. Like there, there were times where I said, I've, I've been raised in the church. I don't know that I can let people know that I talk this way to myself. <laughs> like, like I'm dropping all these words right and left and they don't know me as that person. When I come before them, I'm usually speaking, not, not in tongues, but, you know, speaking in a way that is Christ uplifting, Christ-like, uplifting. <laughs> and a lot of people don't feel like you can drop an F-bomb and say something uplifting at the 
same time. But what I found is that sometimes when I stump my toe and the wrong thing comes out, that's what came out because it hurt. Mm-hmm. It, it, like there, I couldn't think of anything righteous to say in that moment about that level of pain. And so when I'm talking to myself or I'm, I'm having that negative, that negative feedback just coming at me all the time, Oh, then we dialogue and it gets real. <laughs> yes, you definitely real. demonstrated that in the book, like you dialoguing with yourself. And I thought that was like hilarious. I, I'm glad that you put it in there because you don't see that a lot in a lot of writings. And it gave like, it added so much more authenticity to it, you know, to to your book. Where it's like, okay, what was, you, no one has to wonder, like, what were you thinking? You know, so right, like you painted every, you didn't miss anything, you know, you painted every picture um, very vividly in adding that in there. Thank you. Know, you. Going back and forth with yourself, you're welcome. You, you nailed that. I know, I don't know if that was a goal, you know, in the book, but you definitely nailed that. You definitely it, nailed that. It was, it was time for me to admit how active my inner self is in the conversation. Like when, when I'm going and I'm presenting a face to somebody new, mm-hmm. like, like if we met for the first time in the street and, and you, you don't know because my smile is big and I'm six feet tall and I'm carrying myself with authority. You don't know that inside I'm still this girl trembling mm-hmm. and being beaten down by my own voice saying, you're not good enough enough. You're unworthy. You were rejected. You're unlovable. And all of those negative feedback loops just continuously coming back to me. And um, I just needed to let it out and, and hope that in letting it out, other people will admit how vocal those, I don't even want to call her an inner demon or anything, but she's, she's anxiety. She's depression. She's, she's hopelessness this she's me when i'm not my best self yeah i think that that is oh, hold on one second okay okay somebody's alarm was going off we won't give him a shout out and call him out like that <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna edit that part out so we don't put him yeah. on blast <laughs> But um, um, of your books, which um, now that this one is added to your collection, of your books that you have written, uh, which one is your favorite? Oh, oh, that's hard. That's like asking me to choose my favorite child. Um, (laughs) It really is because I call them my my ink babies. And each one, like I went I went through my own like birthing pains. Mm-hmm. If if that's even a thing to just to to squeeze them out to get them out onto the page and realize it's like okay I've done all the bleeding I can do on this onto the next one but ooh, let me see I won't say okay so Marble Girl check- <laughs> go ahead I sent you my two favorites I think okay. that's what I'll say I sent you my two favorites and my my favorite two are Marble Girl because of how I just finally decided to just break free and let people know what it is. And then for Beautiful Ashes, that one was so, so raw. Just yeah. going through the, the daily journal of, of pain after losing one of my twin boys. And, and what it did was it gave me an opportunity to share with people who will experience that, you know, God forbid, but who will experience some form of loss, whether it's Mm -hmm. a child or a spouse or a best friend or whoever, to know that it's okay to to wrestle with that pain and to not be on somebody's timeline. You don't have to figure out how you feel about this and you don't have to move forward on someone else's timeline. It's okay to still wrestle with that pain still it's okay to to feel like you know some people they give you the nice words and 
I get that. You're trying to be comforting or you don't know what to say. But a lot of it hits in a way that that actually does more damage because people will say, and I hear this quote all the time, oh, God will never give me more than I can handle. Oh, yes, he will. He will absolutely give you more than you can handle. When you have a child die and that lifeless body is in your arms, that there, <laughs> there's no words for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm encouraging people with that book to just hold, Hold your loved one. Just sit there in silence with them or bring by a dish and just eat with them. Just maybe brush the hair or some anything, but but to give those words that don't necessarily affirm what raw feelings you're having, it, it's not always helpful. Yeah, and I'm glad that you were blessed with the gift to be able to write it because can you imagine like some people don't have that gift or you know they don't have the courage with the gift to share their story again and then they're just like hurting in silence I, I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine especially now being a mom I um I read that one of your books also was about uh high-risk press uh uh high-risk pregnancy and my pregnancy at the end turned to a high risk and I just couldn't imagine like a different ending I would be crushed oh I'm thankful it was not I'm thankful it was not anything that you had to experience yeah yeah and I commend you for sharing your story because there are a lot of women um, who are actually sharing their stories uh, whether it be for infertility or the loss of a child um and i think this is more you writing it is like supporting them and them not even knowing or you not even intending to or knowing who you're actually supporting because now a lot of women are coming um women of color are talking about like oh the different care we get you know that mm-hmm. wasn't a talk i never heard of it me I neither never even heard <laughs> Yeah. Until after having my daughter, I'm like, oh, this person, oh, preeclampsia, what? Hyper, um, gestational hypertension, all of these things. I'm like, what? And it wasn't because I was ignorant to, you know, what childbirth was like. I have six nieces and nephews. Oh, Um, it was nothing of that sense. It's just something that is not talked about. You know, it's just not talked about. So thank you for writing that. Um, so tell us what are your other four books you've written? Uh, I also wrote a book called Early Origins, and it has poetry from, it just kind of goes along my life's timeline. So there are some things about very, very early childhood. I, I've, I've, I don't want to say that I'm like deaf's assistant or something, but one of the things that I definitely felt was that early on, I was not, uh, not necessarily not normal. I don't know if there is a normal, but just being aware of certain things that are outside of myself. And I, I put in there a poem about, about my grandmother in that book. And it just talks about how I, I realized that she was this entire human being without just being Stephanie's grandma. And that was the day that I ended up losing her. Like she, she had a massive heart attack and passed away in front of me. I was home alone with her and my baby sister at the time. And then I, you know, I have to figure out now, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? Who do I get for help? And it's just trauma after trauma. And then even just like little funny bits of humor. I have a poem in there called Noodle Dangler. And it's about just when you get into an argument, uh, like I would get into an argument with, with Ishmael and I'm like, why do you feel like you have to swing that thing around here? Like, I'm the man, I'm in charge. We get it, we get it. <laughs> like, just, I have to, I have to mix it up because I'm not all pain and I'm not all heartbreak. I'm also humor. I'm also ridiculousness. I'm also just a, a, a burst of, energy or and then the other day sluggishness <laughs> so <laughs> you get it all you get it all so that's that's um that's early origins it's just timeline through my life um 
you spoke about pregamony. Mm-hmm. Pregamony was the high risk pregnancy with the twin boys. They had twin to twin transfusion syndrome. And that book is about, it just goes through from the moment that we were celebrating the news that we were having twins to, to all of the statistics and stuff that were being thrown at us. Doctors giving us the decision, you know, you could always just decide to terminate the pregnancy because it, you know, you're going to lose one. They kept saying, you're going to lose one of the boys or the, the risks are very high for the one donor twin. And the other one, he's looking more promising. So maybe we just cut off the blood flow for the smaller one and we just proceed on from there. And then they gave the option to do amniocentesis, which is, you know, draw, drawing that fluid off of the larger twin, but that doesn't fix what's causing it. With twin to twin transfusion syndrome, what is causing the issue is uneven distribution. Like the twins had blood vessels that were connecting between them. And so one was getting all of the blood flow, all of the nutrients, all of the oxygen from the placenta while the other twin was getting next to nothing. And so we went with the choice to do laser ablation Mm -hmm. where they just cut those vessels, they sever those vessels and, and give him a fighting chance. And that's what like both of them. And I explain this to my son now, like don't ever think that you caused what happened to Ishipu. You were at risk because you were getting too much and he was at risk because he was getting too little. Yeah. Mhm. And yeah, so that that's I would say that's like my third favorite. <laughs> that's my third favorite. And then um I have bitter. So oh, that's that's a doozy. Those two books, it's bitter 1 and bitter 2. And the first one is bitter 1 when church leaves that not too pleasant aftertaste. And I was just playing with the whole concept of bitter in taste. A lot of people say when when a person leaves the church, oh, they're just bitter, or they, you know, they're they're not they're not understanding the importance of unity in the church, and you know, we need this this togetherness and this oneness. And a lot of times, the people that are leaving, they're the taste buds that are recognizing something is not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know like oh if, if i'm bitter then that would be inaccurate because what i'm tasting is what's bitter or i'm seeing something behind the scenes that other people aren't seeing and so in that that, that first book my mother was on staff at a church i won't say where but i i call it the church of silent ruin and and i i got to see how the sausage was made i mean i I, I witnessed the pastor lie from the pulpit. He told everybody in the congregation one Sunday that the worship pastor had been called by God to another church somewhere and, and that he was going to be leaving us. Not called by God. No, no. Cause my mom, I was called by my mom and she told, <laughs> she told me, yeah, she told me that you were, that you were threatening this man and saying, if he didn't do your way, then it was the highway. And this man had five children and like a dog or two dogs, all like young children. You're talking about somebody that needs this job and you're threatening them all about this. I, I'm right. I'm right. And I can't be wrong. So I had to write about that to let people know when you're in these situations. Yes, yes, absolutely. I am all for showing respect to authority. I am all for showing respect to God's ordained, God's anointed ones. But we are also called to hold people accountable. And if there aren't checks and balances, if, if there's no accountability for people in these positions of power, and then they just, they end up creating these rifts and you have church hurt, you have churches split up, you have people turn away from, from church altogether or turn away from God. Even that's really a bad look to find out that you got the best treatment in your, your life from people who don't know God, who don't, who don't go to church and God, 
got beaten up every time he did go to church. Mm. And the second okay. one, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's bitter, bitter one. one. Okay. And then the second one, two. the second one is just a follow up. That's bitter two. Church abuse gone wild. And that, that just, it has to do with, <laughs> he, he was just firing people left and right and trying to make it, you know, like a, a very, very slow trickle effect. You can't cut everybody from the staff at once because then that doesn't look right. But if everybody is comfortable and complacent in the congregation, they, they won't notice when, you know, one or two people here or there go missing. As long as the coffee is piping hot and the seats are comfortable and that temperature is right and the praise music is just right. Like I, I was able to see the manipulation, the push for things to be comfortable like Starbucks with a very institutional clean cut feel. And I'm like, what are we doing? What are, what is, what's happening here? And it was really just turning into kingdom of this guy instead of building this kingdom up for God. Mm. Well, we know that happens too uh, way too often, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, so we've heard those six books. Um, what is the name of the magazine again that you wrote the two issues for? The Pink Ink Review. The Pink Ink Review? Yes. Okay. The Pink Ink Review. I've got to check that out. I've got two, uh, three nieces, excuse me. So I definitely want to get that to them. And then yes. when you do the comic spinoff, you got to let me know so I can get those to my nephews. Definitely so, will. All right. So before we go, before we go, it's something, a little tradition I started uh, where I wanted my guests to shout out an author so if you're author shout out an author if you are a speaker shout out a speaker so you have you have a couple of hats so if you want to shout out us another speaker you can or another author Ooh, okay well my sister in christ yvonne marie i'm gonna shout her out because she just published during this pandemic if i'm not mistaken her first book, Kill the Busy, Save the Bee. And she's awesome. I've known her for several years. She's a singer. She's a writer. She's a teacher. And, and she's just got a very, like, there's a piece about her. And the first time that I met her, when she started singing, I just, it just opened me up and I was willing to receive some peace in my life. So I have to give her a shout out. And that was Yvonne Marie. Yes. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming through and blessing us with your wonderful gift and sharing your story. Um, I don't know if you already know like how how awesome like you are for even writing and sharing your stories, but I'm here to tell you that I know for certain that you are going to continue to help. And you have already helped so many people writing this book or writing these books. Um, I'm saying this book because I'm looking at Marvel Girl, but I know Marvel Girl is going to reach a lot of people. I hope a so. A lot of people. And where can we purchase your books? They are, are available on Books A Million. They're available on Amazon. And also where I did myself publishing on Lulu. So you can also just go directly onto Lulu and that'll pull up all of my books as well. Got it. And did I read um, correctly that one of them or that your books are available via Barnes and Noble? Yes. Okay. So Christmas is coming up. So you can request <laughs> Barnes and Noble's gift cards, people, or Amazon gift cards. That could and... be an interesting discussion at the Thanksgiving cyber table <laughs> oh yeah can you imagine i mean it, you made that interesting um that interesting point that the holidays are coming up and these are some of the hurts that people are dealing with in their families yes. so 
who what what else that they could talk about besides Marvel Girl would be very interesting. Or you might be the talk at the table of somebody that's related to you. You have no idea, but that's okay. Because you got okay. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. And you know that uh right, you know that the book was reached. The book had reached its its destination. Absolutely. So again, thank you for coming. I appreciate um you taking the time to do this interview. I thank have to go you. back and see if I want to publish both of them at the same time. Um, uh, because I think they just go well together. I don't know about part one, part two. But <laughs> we will definitely have you back one day. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I will have in the show notes how you can reach Stephanie again, the links to the books, the um titles of the books. And the magazine as well. And we have to plug Yvonne as well. Yes, please do. All right. Have a good week. All right. You too. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.